You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's definitely going to be different not having those matchups that you would expect every year. Because the NHL drafts like 17-year-olds, the NHL has to tread the water really carefully. Like, they don't even have a goalie. Like, what is, what is the draw? But going into this year because of the Seattle Kraken's expansion draft. But, Where is this going? Oh so, no, so listen, I hear me out. It's going somewhere. It's, it's just not part of hockey. Like, really looks like that weird dad I don't want me to pick up from school. Like, Welcome to Slapshot Sweethearts. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Slapshot Sweethearts. If you don't know who we are, I'm Megan. That's Shannon. And we're going to jump right into it today. We are sitting down virtually, of course, with NHL legend, Mr. Ron Duguay. What is up? Thank you for joining us. Hi, uh, good to be with you. Um, I, uh, I I love doing these streaming because I get to do it at home, my office. I don't have to travel. I don't have to get on a plane and go anywhere. So I've been enjoying this, and I'm meeting folks all over all over the country in Canada. And forgive me, but I'm not quite sure where you guys are located. Where are you? I am in Jersey. I am kind of a New Yorker. Been all over the place since COVID. Yeah. Spent some time in California, but I'm back in Jersey for the moment. And I am in Washington, D.C. right now. So I grew up in Boston, um, and now I've been in D.C. for about five years. So big hockey fans. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Capitals in New Jersey, the Devils? or I'm a, I'm a Penguins fan. Mm, okay. So, so I am a, I'm a Boston fan. Um we met in college down in Washington, D.C., so we are both, you know, soft on the Capitals, um, but it depends on the day. Obviously, you know, in the Eastern Conference, when you're playing the Capitals upwards of 10 times, like, you, you get sick of them. So, yeah. so I mean, depends depends on the day, depends on what they're doing, but uh, Bruins and Capitals. Right. Well, if you don't mind, I would love to just chat with you, but if, I'd like to just throw questions at you because normally yeah. this is what I yeah. do. So are you enjoying the new format as far as the teams playing each other 
in the same division? Are you enjoying that? Because you're seeing the Rangers a lot. We're seeing the Capitals a lot. We're seeing Pittsburgh a lot. It's so different. And I don't think they were anticipating the level of excitement that it's created with this new format. I'm a little stressed about it. It's like one of those things where it's like the East, East division right now is just so competitive that I would love to play like the Senators right now. Like I would love to be up against maybe the Sabres a little more I'll take, but like having to just like play top teams over and over again, granted we're in third right now. I'm not mad, but it just, it's very draining to watch, let alone, I can't imagine what it's like to play these teams over and over again right now. Definitely yeah, stressful. I think it's, it's both confusing and exposing because, right, you're playing, the Bruins are playing these teams over and over again. And you think when you go up against the Devils or the Sabres, that's an easy W for you. You're not worried unless you're going up against the Capitals or the Islanders, this or that. And then they go up and they're taking these bad losses or they're taking these unexpected wins. And it's harder to understand where your team's at. You know, like Megan said, the Penguins are in third right now, and that was not in my power rankings. The Bruins are in fourth. And the Flyers are not doing well at all, but the Rangers don't look bad. So those third and fourth seeds right now are a complete question mark. And I think, like I said, it's both exposing because your teams really can't hide when you're playing the same teams over and over again. But it's confusing because they're winning and losing against the same teams over and over again. And it's not a clear cut, you know, season sweep like we had before when you were playing those teams three times, maybe four times, depending on if they were in your division or not. So I think it's it's interesting, but it's getting a little stale seeing them over and over again. And you can see the players are getting a little either pesky or sick of it, depending on you know what the given matchup might be. Yeah, and I think a lot of the talk right now is these poor Buffalo Sabres, right? <laughs> now they're the all teams are looking at their schedule and saying, okay, how many games do we have left against Buffalo? Right. And that's how they're analyzing each other. Like the Rangers have five, the Boston Bruins have seven. Right. And Rangers are trying to beat Boston, and they're saying, well, it's going to depend. It may come down to how many games you beat Buffalo. And Buffalo is almost a sure win for any team unless you go to sleep. And they're going to compete. They're going to work hard. But Eichel's out of the lineup. I don't think he's coming back. So that's a team yeah. that's weak, very beatable. The Rangers are playing them tonight. They have to beat them for even when they're considering making the playoffs. They, they have to win all five games. And so there's different dynamics that are going on. I like the fact that we're seeing the Islanders a little more, Pittsburgh and Washington. It does create a, a rivalry. And although I do miss Toronto and Montreal coming in, you know, but there's certain teams I don't miss whatsoever. I just like, I'm not a big fan of watching Phoenix play or watching Ottawa play certain teams, even Vancouver. I mean, I like Vancouver. I like going to Vancouver, but there are certain teams that are not that exciting. So there's an element of uh, of uh, looking forward to games now for me anyways as an analyst. And because uh, you can really focus in not on just your own team, but the other teams, the other players. You really get to know every player. You know the matchups. And I think as it goes along, coaches are more prepared. And so now it becomes more a lot more calculated. It's like playoff hockey, essentially, and kind of in a way. Because every game counts now. Coaches know going into every game, this could be the game that gets us into the playoffs. That's the word that the players are going to hear every time going into the second half of the season. This could be the game. We've got to have your best game. You've got to bring your A game. And so I think it pushes the players a lot harder. 
Yeah, and you brought up a good point that, you know, some teams aren't interesting to us, but now in this different format, they're becoming really interesting. I know that we did our first live stream for the North Division a few weeks ago, and just being from the East Coast, neither of us are particularly well-versed in North teams. I mean, I knew a lot about, obviously, the Canadians and the uh, Maple Leafs and all of those that the Bruins were regularly playing, but the Senators were ones that I now became more familiar with and some of those. And so hearing that the North Division fans are very much, I know, and you gr uh, grew up in Canada, correct? Yes, North of Toronto, Sudbury. Right. So from what we've heard, we thought that they were going to get bored the same way that we're getting bored with our divisions. But apparently it's a paradise up there <laughs> for Canadian fans because it's just like a showdown every single night playing Canada on Canada teams. Um, so I think that even though for us it's getting a little bit boring in some other avenues when, you know, we're not missing certain teams, it's really going well for other people. Yeah, well, for Canada, it's it's been the first time where the Canadians get to see Canadian Canadian teams. Right. And so it's created something now. So like Toronto and Vancouver wasn't a big deal in the past, right? Or Montreal and Vancouver wasn't a big deal. And all of a sudden, now the teams are playing each other because it used to be Edmonton and Calgary. Those two teams hated each other. Right. But now they're the building of the uh, of the wanting to take the other team down a little bit harder, a little bit stronger. That's building. And I think whatever happens next year, I don't know what the format's going to be, but I got to believe they're going to want to try to tap into a little bit of what they're seeing right now. Keeping those Canadian teams together. I don't know how much they're going to do that, but it'll be interesting what happens next year. And the yeah. other thing, the other thing is playoff time. Right. That's what I was going to say. So you, you get out of your division, right? You win in your division. Now you go another. You haven't even seen the team all year. You watched them on TV. So that in itself is going to be interesting because the first two games are going to be, you're not sure what's going to happen. Then you got to play catch up. So that'll be fun to watch when the playoffs come around. Yeah, for sure. And Shannon like to like shit on other divisions being like, they're not as competitive as the East. And it's kind of like, it's going to make us like reassess what we've been saying all season. Like, can they keep up? Will they just get killed? Who knows? But it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. Yeah, and the thing with going into the playoffs, you don't have a whole lot of time to adjust because you that one game, you kind of come out of the gate, you want to win that first game. Very important. So you don't have a whole lot of time to adjust, adjust to power play, penalty kill, speed, players, personalities, and all that. So that's why it's going to be the team that's most prepared. And, of course – if you have a coach that's been around uh, and then you got a team that can skate, you got a fast team, you can create stuff. So uh, I like, uh, you know, there's certain teams I like and other teams I really haven't seen. So I'm not sure what to expect. Yeah, yeah that's going to be an interesting ride. Yeah, I mean, we've had the luck of, you know, um, Megan has NHL TV, so we've been watching it. We've been making ourselves watch a lot of games outside of the East Division, and that's been interesting, um, seeing that – like Megan said, I've always said that the Central Division has been a lot weaker than other divisions, but we've watched games and there are actually teams that are holding their own much more than I was expecting in the beginning of the season. So that has been, you know, both a surprise and then a further question mark, because will they, once they get outside of their division in the playoffs, actually be able to hold their own against the North Division or the East Division, who are both completely stacked with playoff teams? So, I mean, it's it's an interesting conundrum and the way that you said if they are going to keep something like this moving forward or if they're going to go back to what it used to be it's been a learning experience and i i don't know what do you have for me today we i know, are, you, I know you guys you've looked into questions. my background you looked into my background there must be stuff you want to dig into we definitely do 
first question kind of comes from like past interviews we've done. We've been talking with some developmental coaches and kind of like getting like the road to the NHL. And I'm curious, like, what was your path you took? Since there's so many avenues you can go now with different like developmental leagues, like what path did you kind of take to get to the NHL or was it different then? It was very different. I grew up playing on outdoor ice, outdoor hockey, and I had all the ice time I wanted. I didn't have to pay for a thing until the age of 12. It, the age of 12 is when I moved into playing in indoor hockey. And at that point, you start paying a little bit extra. But for me, it was uh, just go around the corner and play hockey all day long. You know, get home from school, you go play four or five hours. And that's what it was like all winter. So you do enough of that. Eventually, if you do have the talent, you have the skill, you're going to develop it on your own just by playing. And a lot of that on your own is playing pond hockey. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's pond hockey. It's not structured hockey. Today's hockey is so structured that you, a lot of guys, uh, the skilled guys will figure it out. But when you play pond hockey, you get to try things. You get to do things. And, and it's really a lot of fun. So at the age of 12, I start. I could tell that I was a little bit bigger, a little bit better than everyone else. So then I start playing in all-star teams. And by the age of 15, I end up getting drafted by my hometown of Sudbury Wolves. So I drafted as an underage to play major junior hockey, which is the best amateur hockey in the world, the Ontario Hockey League. So I ended up staying at home, played four years. Or I got to live at home. And so by the time I left home, I was I was drafted the summer I was 19. By the time I get to the Rangers, I'm 20. So it was pretty normal and regular for a Canadian kid because I think about 97% of the players in the NHL were Canadian. We were all doing the same thing. We all grew up the same way. And so we all ended up in the NHL kind of the same person. Nowadays, you got kids from all over the world, different environment, and it's become a, an expensive sport. And yeah. so the, for the families who have extra money, they have their kids playing everywhere, traveling everywhere, getting private lessons, private this, private that. And uh, for the kids who really like it, they can improve pretty quick, especially the one who's got a lot of skill, but he's lacking in speed. Power skating instruction will help. Um, so there's uh, uh, certain advantage, and I would say possible disadvantages, because there's so much pressure on this new player nowadays to play year-round. Don't take a break. Like, I would take four months off. I go play baseball. I go play soccer. I would leave my bag. I wouldn't see it. And so it was a break. It was a mental break. And it felt like every year that I would start up again, I had such a level of excitement of starting the play. It wasn't just a regular thing that I think mentally – that helped us. So nowadays, kids, they go year-round. Why? They feel like they have to keep up with the next kid. And the parents put the pressure on these kids. So the ones that really like it, just do it. They like it. They love it. Uh, and the other thing is, a lot of them don't end up playing other sports because it's year-round hockey. They don't pay, play baseball, you know. And because you get certain coordination with playing other sports, playing golf, playing tennis, it helps. And um, so 
I just don't know if it's as much as much fun as it used to. I haven't really talked to kids. They wouldn't even know the difference, what it would be like for me. But there's nothing playing like playing on a pond or playing on a lake or playing outdoors with the kids. And you just you go and you can play eight hours. So that's what it was like for me. Yeah, that sounds incredible. I actually did one of my uh, senior programs in undergrad was on the what it costs to play hockey now and looking at those prices. And it was incredible at looking at it, especially comparing it to other professional sports, just because you don't realize that the ice costs money. You don't have to pay for a field the same way you do an ice um, to you know, play hockey and rinks aren't as available as you can find grass yeah. and things like that to play football or soccer. Um, so, you know, it, it's really interesting to look at. And I think it's often overlooked, you know, especially thinking about how competitive it is for youth now to get into a given game. Kind of going off of that, you know, I was listening to a show earlier today that you did talking about your draft day and your first week with the Rangers and all of that. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what it's like to be drafted? Obviously, I'm sure you've heard that question before, but like what it was like to be drafted, you know, that first week with the Rangers, you know, just what did it feel like as a 19, 20 year old to go through that process? Well, probably what you heard leading up to it, there wasn't a big hype. There wasn't a big hype at all. There wasn't a big gathering, a big party somewhere in the arena where everyone um, comes together, all the top picks come together with their family and agents. And it was nothing like that at all. I can remember just getting a call early in the morning on a Saturday morning after I've been up Friday night, <laughs> a little hungover, <laughs> getting a call from my agent. And he said, hey, by the way, you got drafted by the Rangers. And this is how much you're making. There was no discussion. This is how much you're making. So back then, the agents and the owners, I mean, they were one. And so then I think maybe a week or two weeks later, I end up in New York and had no idea what New York would be like. I think I'd been on a plane. I don't even know if I'd been on a plane before going to New York, maybe one time. So I go to fly to Toronto there. I mean, I fly from Toronto to uh, to New York, and then I get to Madison Square, get picked up, and I'm at the garden. I'm in the coach's office, manager's office, and there's Phil Esposito. I'm like, wow. They don't tell me anything. No one preps me for any of it. <laughs> You're just going to New York to sign your contract. There's Phil Esposito. Well, Phil Esposito, he was the man that helped win the 72 Summit Series, if you remember, against the Russian. That was a big deal. I was 14, and that was a big deal. And there's my hero, Phil Esposito, and then Roger Bear, Steve Vickers. Some of the players were there. And uh, small ceremony, couple pictures. John Ferguson was the manager. And then uh, a couple of the guys say, Ron, come on, we're going to take you out. <laughs> Where are we going? Let's just, we're just going. <laughs> I can remember getting in a car, we go downtown. So we're just going to go for a spa. It's kind of an initiation. I don't know if you heard this story. <laughs> Did you hear the story of the spa? I heard that the, the end of your week ended with a Cadillac and a boat. <laughs> okay. Well, I didn't fill you in on the middle. The middle was going to a spa. And I'm thinking, spa, what does that mean? We're going to go have a drink. Well, it wasn't quite that. It was a spa where we. I walked into this big room. And there's a swimming pool in this room. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> and there's a lady at the front desk. And she gets on the phone and essentially says to everyone, come on out. So besides the swimming pool, there's all these doors. And all, a woman came out, out of each room. And so um, it was essentially going to spa to get a massage. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, 
I'm like, I have no idea what this, I can't say no, I can't do this. So I went to spa, we got a massage. Everyone got a massage and it was clean massage, clean massage. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then from there, we went out that night. And then the following day, uh, a couple of the younger guys that were on a team, uh, Dave Maloney, Ron Gressner, uh, Dave Ferris, they said, listen, we're going to go down to Long Island because that's where we practice. So we went down there. I said, I'm going to go down for a day. I was there for a whole week. And as I was leaving, I said, I got to get a car. Let me get, I don't want to fly home. Let me just go buy a car because I got my contract. I got a little extra money. I've never kind of just kind of, I got a hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, Oh my God. Right. So I got to spend this. And so I went and bought a Cadillac and, uh, and then from the Cadillac, I live on a lake back in Kansas. Well, I got to get a boat, pull in the Marina, get a boat and go home and I pull into my parents' driveway. And they were like, wow, you made it. <laughs> I said, yeah, big white Cadillac with a gold speed boat in the back. So, uh, it was a, uh, you know, it's not something you think about. It's not like when you're thinking about wanting to play in the NHL back then, it's not thinking how much money you're going to make. It yeah. was just thinking about playing in the NHL. I don't ever, I don't remember thinking how much I was actually going to make as a first round pick. I, I really don't. I don't think I had that conversation. So just to compare my first year contract was 75,000, 75,000. So now a rookie minimum is a million dollars plus bonuses, right? So that's that's for for first round pick. I was thirteen overall, so seventy five thousand with a signing bonus of one hundred thousand. That was it, but that was a lot of money. That's it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see that. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I mean, hey. Moving to the greatest city in the world, got to be a time and a half. I heard you were talking with our friend Rod the other day. And I know you picked New York over L.A., but if you had to pick any of the other cities you'd played for, and you doubt in Pittsburgh, Detroit, what's your take on these cities? How are they comparing to each other? I think part of it has to do with how you feel, how you feel about yourself, your surroundings, your teammates, your friends, the fans. The fans are great in Detroit. Um, and I went there at a time where I needed to make a change in my life because I was partying way too hard and it was starting to affect my game. And so I went to Detroit and that's all there is. That's all I was going to do in Detroit is settle down and be a hockey player. So they gave me Stevie Eisman and it was a good three years. Then I ended up in Pittsburgh and uh, got to play with Mario. Uh, the city itself, much different than Detroit. You know, downtown, you can, it was a little more action. But by then, I was married with two kids, I believe. I think I had two or one, maybe one. Uh, and so I was a married man. So it wasn't like the nightlife didn't mean anything to me. It was the fans, the teams, and got to play Mario. So Pittsburgh was fun. Um, what a dream. Yeah. So, and then LA, you know, playing with Gretz, you know, it's, there was nothing like it because it, he brought out all the celebrities, every celebrity. Hollywood was at every game. And so you'd be skating and warm up and there's St Stallone and there's Jack Nicholson and there's so-and-so. And it was on and on and on. Kurt Russell, he was a big fan too. John Candy, uh, oh, so many. Kevin Costner, Kevin Costner was there a few times. So. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, that does make sense. You don't necessarily think about the environment of different cities as a fan who's primarily going to the same arena every single time until you do go to a different one. And even then, it doesn't necessarily make sense because it's not your arena. But, you know, as a player, it's an entirely different experience because you're going there and it's it's your arena no matter what. 
um, so that it's an interesting perspective. Yeah, you're not necessarily thinking of the city, you're thinking of the team and the teammates. Because, you know, we grew up, ice is ice, hockey is hockey. I want to play, I want to have fun, I want to score goals. I want to be surrounded by good teams. So it wasn't like, oh, I don't want to go here and I don't want to go there. It's, is there hockey? Am I playing? Do I have a good centerman? Great, let's go, you know, so. Totally. Yeah, so you ended your career in LA and then you transitioned over to coaching and then covering hockey as, you know, the face of the Rangers, obviously. Um, what were, were those respective transitions like? Obviously, they're all, they're very different things, you know, going from playing to coaching and then coaching to an analysis. Um, so did you, obviously, I'm sure playing was the highlight, but, you know, what's the, what are those, you know, uh, what were the highlights there between, you know, transitioning and choosing those, those roles and how you kind of got to each one of those? Well, coaching wasn't something that I thought I had in me, especially at the professional level. I was doing a lot of teaching. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hey, if you've had a bladder leak today, listen up. I get it. I tried pills and pads for years but couldn't find relief until I found Axonix Therapy. It's a tiny device that put me back in control of my bladder. Why not see if it could work for you? Visit findrealrelief.com. That's findrealrelief.com. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonix is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com because I have kids, I have boys. So I did a lot of teaching, hockey schools, that sort of thing. And it wasn't like growing up, we um, we were really taught how to play the game. We just learn how to play the game just by playing the game. Now it's so technical. So it wasn't like I can think of, oh yeah, remember all those clinics that I did and we did all these drills and did this and do that. I just had to come up with stuff that made sense to me early on first, when I first started teaching kids. So I could watch a kid identify something whether he's turning right, turning left, he's bending his knees, uh, his instincts, head up, head down. Those were all the basic things uh, that I can see, evaluate, and teach. And so I did that for the for a while. And then I, then I moved to Florida, where I'm at now, and uh, I still wanted to play. I don't know. I must have been in my 40s. I was still playing a few games in the minors uh, just to test myself. And so I, uh, towards the end of one season, it was a real bad team in Jacksonville. And, and they fired the coach towards the end of the season. And the owner came to me and says, hey, Ron, I know you're a player today, but tomorrow when you get up, we'd like for you to be the coach. <laughs> and, and this team was like the bad news bears. <laughs> they weren't any good, but we were having a lot of fun. And I was like a little kid with them. And so I had to wake up the next day and put my coaching hat on. And so I can remember the first time on the ice the following day, I, I became this guy that I didn't know I had in me. And they kind of, I can remember them, you know, kind of looking at me, dudes, it's us, <laughs> right? And it, it was like I, because I was the fun-loving guy, and all of a sudden, I, you know, I had to put my game face on. And it was a challenge for me. Listen, we need to make some changes. We got 12 games, and let's be the best that we can be. 
And so I had to figure stuff out. But the first thing I had to do is kind of talk to them about their preparation, their mental preparation, coming to the games, taking it seriously. Let's get home by four. You know, let's get some rest. <laughs> and uh, and so one thing led to another, and it felt pretty good. Things were come out coming out of me that I didn't know I had. And so I finished the season, and they said, do you want to do it again next year? And I said, well, you know, I'll do it if I can hire an assistant that's going to help me. And I had a good friend that was a good teacher of the game. And so the following year, I, I started again, and uh, I was able to pick the players that I wanted, play the type of game that I wanted. I was taught by Herb Brooks. Herb Brooks was uh, the Olympic coach. Mm -hmm. was a, it, was a, it wasn't a uh, north and south type of game. You stayed in motion, cycle, get the puck, a lot of give and goes. And I scored 40 goals under her. So I knew I wanted to play that game. I just needed to know how to teach it. And it's not as easy thing. So I had an assistant coach that helped me how to teach it. And so we had uh, right out of the gate, my first full year, won a championship. Just playing and teaching the way I wanted to do it. So I did that for four years. And I, I the level was a minor league level that was uh, difficult. It wasn't a, it was a league that wasn't making much money and it just became too stressful for me. And, because uh, wins and losses make a big difference on a coach. And so on my fourth year, I said, you know what? I've had enough either. And I applied for the American hockey league job with the New York Rangers and I almost got it, but I didn't at the same time I was asked to interview for TV. So I went in for the interview and I got the interview. I got, got the job right away. So it, it kind of, I, I made a choice at that point that uh, I'm going to move on just to do television. So, but it's funny how I'm glad I did. I was a coach because being an analyst, you got to, you can really, you, ha, you get a feel for what it's like to be behind the bench. You get a, you get a feel for being a coach. So it made me a better analyst just having done both. Totally. And now you're an Emmy winner. Like, yeah, add that to the list of accomplishments. Yeah. Well, yeah. In New York, uh, I won. Yeah. Twice. And um, well, after a while, I think the first four years I, uh, you know, it's you learn on the job and you learn how to try to be as relaxed as you can doing being an analyst, doing TV. A lot of it is so structured that it's not like you and I were just talking. We're just chatting. And you ask me a question. We just talk and I can give you a good answer. But when everything is structured by the second and you're going to break. That is the hard part of doing what you're doing. So you got to be able to form a, a good answer to a question. Sometimes you got 20 seconds. Sometimes you got 45 seconds. Sometimes you have to stretch. And so and a lot of different things go through your head when you're coming up with an answer. And so you rehearse and then uh, then you go live. It's a funny thing. You can sit there. As calm as can be, we rehearse to be myself, Al Trotto, Bill Pito. And we're talk good. And then the producer say, Okay, we're going live in 20 seconds. And then all of a sudden you're starting to feel it. 10 seconds, three, two, one, and the light comes on and something happens to your body. You have to control that. You got to stay calm, but you realize you don't see everyone behind the camera, but you're going live and you can't take back whatever you're saying. Like we're taping today, right? You can't take back. So there's that pressure and you want to be the best that you can be, but there's something that comes upon you when you go live and live TV, there's something exciting about it, but there's something nerve wracking about it. So some guys make it look real easy and others, they stumble a little bit. You see them stumble a little bit because it's it's not as easy as it looks. You got a producer in your ear talking to you. 
And uh, so it took me a good four years to kind of get comfortable and feel good about what I was doing. So, and every word is measured nowadays. You got to be so careful on what you say. You say the wrong word and all of a sudden, oh, what did he say? <laughs> so, and I'm one to just kind of let it fly a little bit, but you got to be careful, especially when you're working for MSG. Yeah, totally. I mean, I work in the, the broadcast TV space and I know it's like being in like, on the back end in like control rooms, like it's a crazy energy. And it's like, I can't imagine being on the other side. I would definitely freak out. But <laughs> you've been involved obviously in the sport for professionally 40 plus years on analyst side, playing side, coaching, all of this. I know Shannon and I talk a lot about how the sport has changed with like kind of losing that enforcer role, kind of seeing how that's fading out almost. What do you think are the biggest changes that the NHL is seeing these days? Well, they wanted to make it more of a speed game, more skill game. They want to eliminate all the fighting, uh, which they did. I think they've just gone – I think they've gone a little too far. And then you have certain coaches that uh, decided that they wanted to do their own spin on it. They want to make that fourth line a skill line. And so you have one team that becomes successful at doing something that every team starts to follow suit. And so now you got four lines of a lot of guys that are skilled players and which is fine. But, you know, I grew up in watching hockey in the sixties and seventies, eighties and nineties. And my goodness, the level of excitement out of watching guys go at it. I mean, it was over the top crazy. I was in the middle of it. And cause all the brawls crazy goofy. We're like gladiators on ice and to tone it back. I agree. But I think it's just gone to a point now where, because uh, I still like having players on the ice police each other or police the game versus the officials. And the other thing is, it's some of the rules that they've implied as far as applied, you know, with the interference, tapping the hands. It's uh, it's a little too much, you know, because games are won and lost on the power play, penalty kill. And I always say this, let the officials stay out of the game as much as you can. Let the teams decide who wins. I don't like officials that make soft calls because that soft call can lead to a goal, can lead to a loss, could lead to a team not making the playoffs. So I say officials stay out of the game. And if they see two guys who want to go at it, let them go at it. It's not that big of a deal. It's part of, you know, hockey's should be a little it's entertainment it's not just the sport of hockey it's entertainment so how do you entertain let them go at it a little bit and you know if it gets a little over the top words you got a big guy picking on a little guy that's when you step in but i still believe when guys are going hard if you played this sport and you're going hard to get an elbow uh you're going to want to retaliate they want to retaliate with a stick and so let let the guys you know, drop the gloves occasionally. There's an entertainment value to it. I just don't like too much of it. And I don't like the uh, premeditated stuff. Like one guy looks, oh, we got to fight tonight. Why? Well, we just need to fight. That's our job. I don't like that. I like two guys, especially the star players like Crosby. When he's competing, going hard, and all of a sudden he breaks into a fight because he's going so hard, he's frustrated. That's the kind of stuff I'd see, you know. But the other stuff is no good. I, I, you know, I would, I would let the guys go a little more. What's your take on uh, the Tom Wilson suspension? Well, that's, you know, he does, he's, he's dangerous. <laughs> he's a big guy, six, four. I don't know. He's probably two twenty. 
Yep. Uh, and he hits to hurt, which is okay because that's part of the game. When I coach, I would tell my players, look at, keep your hits clean, hit the guy hard because it's part of the game. Every time you hit someone, there's a chance, two things that could happen. There's a chance he could get hurt. Now, I don't want him to get seriously hurt. Let's say he strains a wrist or a knee and he's their top player. He's out of the game. That's a game changer. That's part of the game. I'm not saying hit him dirty. I'm just saying hit him. That's the first thing that could happen. The second thing when you hit someone, there's a good chance someone's going to retaliate on you. So expect retaliation. Take the retaliation. Accept that they're going to take a penalty. Now we go on a power play. So uh, with Wilson, he's a physical guy, and no one's going to mess with Ovechkin while he's out there. And I I love the fact that he's running guys over, just like Ovechkin. It's just that you – the I don't know if you guys have touched the elbow pads nowadays. Those are like rock. Elbow pads are like rock. So are the shoulder pads. And whenever you get hit, that's why you see a guy get hit on the, on the chin. They go down. Like in our days, you never go down. It's, they're so hard. So you got to have an awareness. Hitting a guy in the head is dangerous. So he gets, he goes high and he got penalized for it. And that's an accumulation of other things he's did. He's done in the past. So the, the seven games are justified because all it takes is for him to hit one guy really bad. And that guy doesn't get up and he can't play anymore. That's what the NHL has to worry about. And a lot of it has to do, I'm telling you, the elbow pads are way, they're trying to protect the player from getting hurt where the player's actually using it as a weapon. I can't imagine making it harder feels good when you fall on it. Like, yeah, Well, no, the, uh, the outside is hard. The inside is very uh, soft-like. Soft on the inside, but on the outside, it's a plate. So they softened them up a few years back, but they still, it's, it's still, guys are getting hit and they're going down. Well, and they was like, what, what happened? Well, it doesn't take much. It's just a little clip on the chin. The guys are going down back in our days. We would hurt our elbows all the time. Cause what we were was so soft. So there was no protection. We didn't want any. In fact, I played, I played with no shoulder. I just had a little cup here. That's all I had. No shoulder pad, no, nothing, nothing on my chest. I had a little cup here. The, I had elbow pads that I think when I was a midget, and I, I gutted my pants. I took all the stuff out of my pants so I could go fast. <laughs> Completely different nowadays. Yeah, that's I can imagine being like that unprotected and like trying to like block something if your goalie is like not there. And I'm like, oh my God, that would hurt so bad. Well, the, the, one, the one pad that they really need with all the protections is shin pads. Because the guys are firing the pucks. It's 100 miles an hour. You get that in the yeah. shin. You don't want to get cut. You don't want to have a broken leg. And so even in the, like in the back of the leg, that's where you need the protection is on your shins. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I just never thought of NHL pads as hard. They just – I'm used to, you know, watching football and all of those things. Um, but transitioning a little bit, I know that in 2011, you got to play in the Winter Classic alumni game, which is a really different perspective than the outdoor games that we're typically talking about. We spent – weeks uh talking about the Bruins Flyers and then um Golden Knights Avalanche respectively outdoor game that they just had at Lake Plas or Lake Tahoe excuse me yeah. um because of the marketing and all of that the NHL was doing for it what was it like to play in a winter classic alumni game and you know what was that atmosphere like on the ice 
that was right up my alley. Because <laughs> at the time I was doing, because I still play a lot of alumni games. At the time I was playing a lot of alumni games. So I, my legs are pretty good shape. So I could, I can go. Like I really enjoy playing. And I can remember stepping out on the outside of the rink, which was a big field. And you're looking, it's a football arena. You look up. And I have this wonderful picture of myself looking up at the big screen. I can see myself coming up. And, but it was like 44,000 people. So this was new to us as a hockey player, new to us. But once you get on the ice, it, everything was kind of the same. In fact, it was different. You see all those people back there, but the noise factor was different. In an arena, they're right on top of you. There might be 20,000, but they're right on top of you. This was 44. It was at a distance. And, uh, but it, and, and it goes back to what I was saying before, to play outdoors. You know, and it's cold. Uh, that the ice was pretty good, and then playing against guys that I played against, some I played against, some I didn't. Like Eric Lindros on the ice. So, and then it was a rivalry. You know, playing the Flyers, and of course, not like we used to play against each other. You know, with all the hate, but it was just a fun game where everybody really enjoyed each other, and it was competitive. And the game was three-one. It was a close game, three-one. Uh, Mike Keenan was a coach. And uh, so very enjoyable for a guy like myself that really enjoys still playing. What were some of the other like career highlights that maybe not like NHL games, if I mean, could be a great one, but like, what are some of those like moments that have just like stood out? Uh, for me, probably in, I think it was 80 or 81 when I was asked to try out for Canada Cup, Team Canada in that world championship. I was invited to go because the season before I had a great series against the Islanders and, and uh, Bill Torrey was the manager of, for Canada Cup, uh, Team Canada. So he said, listen, let's invite Ron because he might be good on the fourth line on the check-in line, right? And so I go to training camp and I train hard. I've always trained hard. I go to training camp. Next thing you know, I make this team. And this team was probably, the, practically the whole team was all Hall of Famers. So that was probably one of my biggest achievements. Gretzky's on the team, Guy Lafleur, Larry Robertson, Bill Barber, Jill Perot. I mean, they were all on the team. And here I am. I'm, I think I was 23. might have been 23. And so I made that team, and I got to experience playing with some of the best in a world championship, although we end up losing in the finals. And then once I left that, we went right into training camp in New York, and, and my experience continues. So now I feel good about myself. And I uh, end up in New York, and I have a new coach, Herb Brooks. <laughs> and so meet Herb, and they're halfway through training camp. And uh, he says, listen, I'm, uh, I know who you are. You can skate, and I'm going to give you a good center. He, gave, he gives me Mac, uh, Mark Pavlitz. And then he started talking about his teaching on how he was going to allow me to just freely stay in motion. Don't stop. Just keep going. And uh, I had more breakaways that year, and I ended up scoring 40 goals. So that was that year was a good year for me. And then backing up was probably what really got me to enjoy New York and Ranger fans was 79, we played against the Islanders. We ended up going against them in the, in the semifinals. They were the favorites to win the Stanley Cup that year, them in Montreal. And we beat them in the six-game series. But going through every game, how close it was and how the Ranger and Islander fans uh, interacted <laughs> with fights and noise. And uh, then we win that last game, game six in Madison Square Garden. That in itself, it, I think that would have been in my second year. So it helped me as I went through my career to feel what it's like to win playoff hockey and right. feel what it's like 
to feel the, the garden shaking. And then, you know, scoring 40 goals. Uh, I played in the All-Star game also, did one time. I ended up in or the game one year was in Washington. So I got to go to the White House. President Reagan at the time was president, got to meet him. Uh, Gordy Howe was there. And uh, speaking of Gordy Howe, I actually got to play against Gordy Howe. He was in Hartford. I think he might have been 52 or 54. That might have been his last year. And people asked me about Gordy. I said, well, my goodness, I, you know, growing up with Gordy, here he is. He's on the ice with me. And his both his sons were on that team in Hartford. And I can remember being deep in their corner. And I'm going against Marty, the oldest. And him and I are going at it, kind of cross-check, hit, this and that. The play goes up the ice. And it's just him and I kind of Japanese, almost getting ready to fight. All of a sudden, I get this cross check in my neck. In my neck. And I look behind, it's Dada. <laughs> Daddy. <laughs> it's Daddy Gordy. He goes skating by, and I look. He goes, Oh, I'm sorry. And he skated by, and I'm like, Oh, wow. That's cool. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, he almost took my neck off, and he apologized, <laughs> skated by. So, uh, anyways, so yeah, I got a lot of little stuff that, uh, yeah. you know, on and off the ice. Okay, last question. Who's taking the cup this year? Wow. <laughs> nice, easy one to wrap up. Yeah. Oh, yeah well, here's the thing. It, it, it goes all the way back to when we first started. I haven't seen these other teams play. I mean, I could watch a little bit on TV, but I'm not that interested. You know, I, I'm, I'm liking uh, – Boston, I thought, was going to be the team, and then Washington, and then I, I see the Rangers, the youngest team in the NHL. They're beating them. They beat them. But the Rangers are, you know, they're like six and eight points behind, but they're beating them. So I'm thinking, are really is are the Rangers that good to keep, keep up with them, or are they not as good as I think they are? I know Vegas is doing well. Toronto's doing well. I would love to see Toronto in the finals. That would be awesome because – Toronto and Canada needs a Canadian team and Toronto needs to win a Stanley Cup. So I don't know if they're ready for that. They've got, they've brought in a few of the uh, older players on their team. Uh, but I'd love to see Toronto in the finals. Uh, so I don't know. I, I'm uh, it, it could be, it could be Pittsburgh. You don't know if Pittsburgh picks up a player or two at the trade deadline, they still have Latang, Malkin, Crosby. And if they get some goaltending, they're not that far off. You know, go to they're not that far off, you know. And so if they if they can come up with a couple players at the trading deadline, they could surprise teams. Because when they have three, that's three superstars. And uh so they would be a good story also. Totally. Well, Ron, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been great. So happy to have you. So thank you for being here. For everyone listening, where can they find you, social media, podcasts, anything? Well, you know, I have my podcast with the New York Post. It's called Up in the Blue Seats. And it's New York Post. And I, I work with Larry Brooks and uh, Molly Walker. And I, we always have good guests. I do that. And then, of course, I, I'm on Cameo. So if someone wants to find me, do a special wish to someone. I just I just got back from the beach. I have to hurry to get back. I did because I like to go to the beach. I'm right across the street from the beach. I go and I do cameos on the beach. Yeah. And so if people are looking for something, a, a message to someone, you can find me on Cameo. Are you familiar with Cameo at all? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. And then, you know, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I, I do what everyone else does. So, 
Uh, good talking with you. I wish you guys the best, and maybe uh, come playoff time, we'll do it again. Yeah, definitely. Thank you uh, so much for having joining us. <laughs> lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.